Shalom, this is Gamliel Shmalo. Today's chapter, Yechezkel 42, continues the prophetic tour of the idealized temple, which began with chapter 40. The description of the temple in these chapters gives the impression that Yechezkel experienced a detailed vision of an incredibly precise building, while at the same time, so much of that clarity eludes us. And, and not just us. In his introduction to the Dat Mikra edition of these chapters, Chil Tzvi Moskowitz points out that Maimonides comments that while we have an explicit description of the temple that Shlomo built in the Book of Kings, Yechezkel's description of the future temple is a no mufurashu It is not explicit or explained. In our chapter, regarding the Atik, the gallery, Rashi writes, quote, I don't know what this is. And he continues, I can't understand at all in these three verses what it means, that the galleries took away from them, what these atikim are and how they subtract from the upper chambers, but they do not subtract from the lower chambers. And the reason which is given for this is, quote, because they were mishulashot, they were triangular, and they did not have pillars. I don't know how to understand this. I did not have a master or a helper regarding this whole edifice other than what was shown to me by heaven. That's Rashi's commentary. And the commentary of Rabbi Yosef Karo is even less helpful because he appears to have completely given up, ending his commentary with chapter 39, as if these chapters were not even a part of the book of Yechezkel. So if we find the architecture elusive, we can feel comfortable that we are in good company. What we can try to grasp is a bit of the experience. Yechezkel, returning in his mind's eye, back to Jerusalem. He was exiled from Jerusalem as a young man. Six years later, in chapter 8, he returned to Jerusalem in a prophetic vision to see her in her decadence, five years before the destruction. Nineteen years have passed since that vision, fourteen since the destruction, and then, quote, the hand of God was on him again, bringing him back to an entirely different temple. If if the chap if the tep, if the temple of chapter eight was filled with chaos and abomination, the temple of our chapters is a temple of great mathematical precision. His tour guide was an angelic figure of brass, holding a measuring tape and a yardstick, both symbols of exact measurement. As he tours the temple, he and, and we are overwhelmed by detail. The quantities are exact. The dimensions are exact. The locations are exact. The steps are exact. There is, there's great beauty in all this precision, this great work of engineering. It is similar to the beauty we experience in a, in a Bach fugue or in the workings of a Swiss watch. It's the beauty of, of the transit of Venus across the sun at exactly the right moment. It is the humbling beauty of the constellations in heaven, which are older than the Grand Canyon and which will outlive our planet's star. When the stars find their proper place in an ordered universe, when nations of different races and customs dwell in peace, when an individual learns to integrate his body and soul, then we experience joy. Not surprisingly, we borrow a word from music to describe such wondrous states of being. We call this harmony. Our souls resonate with the order that we perceive at these times, basking in a web of interconnection in which everything just fits. Here we find an island of redemption in an otherwise chaotic world. There are subjects in which good enough 
just doesn't work, where 99% right is 100% wrong, like math. 2 plus 2 is not 3.99999, not at all. In algebra, we look for the missing variable and find it exactly, and everything fits perfectly. In trigonometry, we find exactly the lengths and angles that bring the sides together in a perfect polygon. These disciplines teach us to appreciate a world in which 99% is just not acceptable, in which a cessation of violence is no substitute for true peace. A visitor to Yechezkel's temple would be struck by the structure and order of the divine service, accompanied by the songs of the Levites, and see our human existence acting in harmony with the greater order of the cosmos. At such blessed times, we, we children of man join the song of the luminaries in the sky and the angels in heaven, about whom we sing on Shabbat, Smechim b'tseisam, v'sasim b'voam, osim be'ema ritzon konam. As Rabbi Yonatan Ivashitz writes about Chachmat HaMusica, how great is the power of this wisdom, which the angels above and the heavenly bodies all intone and sing with a song and pleasant melody, according to the good order of tones and half-tones, and they all have a root in the true wisdom. The temple inspires us to bring such order into our personal lives and into our interpersonal relationships. At the same time, however, we know that real life is much messier than that. Even a great musician and a great engineer, a great mathematician, even a Kohen, will never achieve the same level of perfection in their lives as they achieve in their art. So our chapter introduces a new element to the temple, the chambers of the priests, where they eat the sacrificial meat and then change their clothes. A temple of such precision requires a place of transition between the ordinary and the perfect, between the holy and the profane. Otherwise, it and the people who inhabit it would appear too distant and rarefied. It would be a place of adoration, but not a place of emulation. Now, even in his off hours, the Kohen should not appear to be just a regular guy. But he cannot hope to be a true leader if he appears to be, or if he actually is, completely out of touch. Our chapter tells us that after eating from the sacrificial food, the Kohen must change his garments before leaving the sacred precinct. In this transitional room, he puts on other, less holy garments, preparing to, quote, approach to those things which belong to the people. The danger of Yechezkel's temple is that because of its precision, it could appear too cold and forbidding. It is the job of the Kohen, therefore, to serve as a master musician, but then, then to change his clothes and to come out to the people. In another 365 chapters, in Nehemiah chapter 8, we will see how another great Kohen, Ezra, brought the Torah out from the temple to the people at the water gate. By approaching those things that belong to the people, Ezra personified the lesson of Yechezkel's changing rooms. Yechezkel's vision continues to teach that the temple is not just a place of adoration, but it is also a place of emulation. Yechezkel's Kohanim teach that Jewish leaders must instruct not just reverence, but also relevance.